good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you. It's great to have everybody here, at least half of our of our church. So the other half will be here. I don't know if it's the better half in the morning or the other half in the morning. Uh, you know, we're still figuring that out, but it, I, I'm glad you're here. And if you're a guest, if you're uh, visiting with us here today, it's, it's great to have you here with us. And uh, we are really gearing our services for you. We want you to know this this church exists uh, to help you. And we want to be here for you so that you can get closer to God. And uh, today we're closing out our, our third part of a three-part series called White Flag. And uh, it's been a great, it's all about uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah. And uh, if you go in your Old Testament, Matthew, turn left, eight books, there it is. Very short, but powerful, powerful book. And I just want to say this before I begin uh, our, our third part. Last week, a number of you responded by raising a white flag and surrendering to God. And I wanted to encourage you. There were a number of people that said, I'm done. I'm finished with my chaos that I've created, uh, all the stuff that I've done to hurt other people. I surrender to God's will in my life. And I want to encourage you that 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 is awesome and, and lift you up for that. And uh, so today we're going to we're going to look at another part of the series. And why is this story about Jonah so significant? A little bitty book in the Old Testament, because it's it's my story. It's your story. It's our story. And the truth of the matter is, Jonah was a runner, but guess what? You and I are runners. We, we run. And, and kind of given a little background, if you're here for the first time, Jonah was in Jerusalem, was in Israel, and uh, God called him and said, Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to this city, Nineveh. And it's about 500 miles from Jerusalem, you know, into the modern-day Iraq area, Syria, as it was called there. And it's actually a place that still is remembered. This was Nineveh. Uh, it's not a fictional story. It's not a story. Type. This was a place, a time. It happened about 750 B.C. Uh, in, in biblical times before Jesus. And he was sent by God. He was a prophet. And, you know, just like many of us, he was a he was a good guy. He went to church regularly. He had his Bible, read his Bible had no problem sharing the word of God with people in Israel. But when God had sent him to Nineveh, which was a people not of God, he said, I'm down with you. I believe in you and I believe in the Ten Commandments, but I'm not going to Nineveh. No, I'm just not going to go. Anybody in this room here can relate to that? You know, you're yeah, you're you're good with God. You believe in God. But when. He pulls you in a direction that you don't want to go. And you're saying, oh, I don't know. That's Jonah. That's you and me in some area of our life. And so we've been uncovering that the last, last couple of weeks. And here's a couple of points that we looked at the last few weeks. Number one is that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. He'll find you. He'll catch up with you. And so if you're a runner today and you know you're a runner and, you know, you, you, you identify, I'm a runner. I've been running from God my whole life. I've been avoiding dealing with my conscience. I've been avoiding dealing with what I know is right. Uh, you cannot run God. The second point was this. God is generous in his grace, but thorough in his discipline. He's thorough. 
in his discipline. And he disciplines those who he loves. So if you've had some some drama, you know, happen in your life, you know, some chaos and you say, well, I did this part, but I feel like this much has been added to it. Well, that's the God factor. He's added a little extra. You know why? Not to pay you back. To bring you back. And that's our next point is God doesn't discipline us to pay us back. But to bring us back. He wants to bring you back to him. And so that's why he's been letting some of these things and and allowing some of these things and maybe adding a little fuel to the fire in your life because he loves you and he wants you all the way back. And you may think you're back because you're here today. Well, I came to church, didn't I? No, No, it's a little more than that. Okay, and it's not just about attending church. It's about you and him having a relationship that goes the rest of the six days during the week, not just one day a week or once in a while on a holiday, not Halloween, but the rest of the year. And, you know, the famous story about Jonah is what? It's the fish, right? It's the fish story. That's the famous part. That's the popular part. That's the VeggieTales part. But here's the deal. It's not the most important message that Jonah has to offer us. You know, the message is not about bad people who run from God and do bad things and then come back to God. That's not the moral of the story. That's not the real story. The real story is much, much deeper. Guess who the real story of Jonah is about? It's up on the screen. You cheat. It's about good people. It's about church people. So if you're here visiting today and you consider yourself, well, I'm not really a church person. I don't really go to church. And you have this feeling inside of you. Uh, you go, well, you know, people that go to church, that, mm, I feel like they really don't, Get it. They're really not attractive. In fact, I have a problem with people that go to church. You are in the right place because we're about to confirm all your beliefs. We're going to confirm it today. And so for the members of our church and for you, if you're a guest here, you're going to love today because in one sense, you're going to be off the hook. Uh, Maybe not. But later we'll see. But this is for us. This is for the good people. These are for people that read their Bible. You know, they pay their taxes. Uh, They've been faithful to their wife. You know, they've been doing the right thing for a long time. And they consider themselves. And even if you ask somebody that knew you, you'd say, you know what? You're a good person. That's what this story is really about. The book of Jonah. Today is kind of like a woodpile. You know, and all of us, you know, have fireplaces that you got, you got a wood pile there somewhere. And, and you know how you have a wood pile and you burn off all the top wood and then you get down to the bottom layer and you got that log on the bottom and, and you lift up that log on the bottom. What's, what's underneath? Stuff like this, some squiggly, nasty, slimy, you got All the anti-colors of the rainbow are down there. And it's nasty. That's what today's going to be like. Because we're going to pick up the log of the local church. 
And we're going to see some really ugly, squiggly, moving things that are not attractive. Now, here's the temptation you're going to have is you're going to want to put the log back down and walk away. No, we're not going to do that. Okay, we're going to look at the ugly, nasty stuff that's in the local church. Because I want to tell you, the local church has a reputation in our culture. And it's not a great one. And we're going to see this in the story today and address it in all of us. Me, you, all of us here today. About who we are and how we're representing God. You know, because really, this is one of the issues. And we're going to see it in Jonah's life. Many of us have surrendered to the moral will of God. Maybe the personal will of God. I surrender. I'm in, God. I'm going to live a moral life. I'm going to live according to this, this word that you've given me. I'm going to live according to this. I'm going to be a good person and follow your, world, your word. And as far as it is my family and the people really, 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 really close to me, I'm going to do your will. I'm surrendered to that. But they have never surrendered to the global will of God. That means the will of God as it pertains to the people that live around us. And identifying, connecting with what are the needs of the people outside of me, my life. And that's what happened with Jonah. So we're going to pick it up here in in Jonah chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with us. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Jonah chapter 3, and I'm, I'm feeling a need this morning. Uh, let, let's go ahead and before we read, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Pray with me if you would. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study your word. Thank you that you have preserved the book of Jonah for thousands of years. That we can read about him and identify with him and see what's the same in our lives. I pray for our Bible study today that your spirit will move. And that you'll help our friends who are here today to know how much you love and care about them. Thank you. Bless our service. Fill me with your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says here, Then the the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. At that time, this was a large city, about 120,000 people. It took three days to go through it. The Ninevites believed in God. Now, here's the the, the amazing thing is they didn't have the same belief system as the Israelites. They believed in multiple gods. They had a whole different religious background and belief system. Here's Jonah coming to a strange place, Assyria, the Assyrian nation, and he's preaching to them a message that they're not familiar with. And they respond to his message. The Ninevites believed. Relationship with God, I'm in trouble. That's what they did, and it was from the from the top down to the bottom up, both ways. Everybody responded. You know, I grew up in a city of about a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand people in the population. Could you imagine that many people in three days turning to God? 
That's, that's an amazing thing that happened. Because one man went through the city back and forth proclaiming the word of God. And let's see what his message was. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Now, this is the king. This is the king. And, and, and Jonah went around telling people in 40 days, if you don't change, if you don't stop being violent, corrupt and immoral with your lives, God's going to send some nations next to you. They're going to come and invade and take over. And for 120,000 people, plus the king, you're a king. He did the same thing. He looked at Jonah and, and he responded. This was a miracle. This was amazing. There's some extra biblical history facts about this time, time frame. What was going on during this time? 750 B.C. There was three tribes. They've known this through historical studies. There were three tribes that at this particular time they joined together. Possible fears of what the Assyrians were thinking. Hey, this could happen. What Jonah's saying could happen. And so three tribes joined together. They were about 100 miles away from Nineveh. So maybe that added to the message. Another possible thing was there was two recent plagues that had swept through Assyria at that time. And so maybe they were thinking, okay, when, when stuff happens, there's nations coming and there's a threat or there's a lot of sickness, people get, you know, they get grounded. And they go, you know, I better turn to God. Here's a messenger. Here's the circumstance. I better, I better think about what I'm doing and how I'm living my life. Everybody responded. And there is historically noted that there was a total in this region at that time, a total eclipse of the sun. I don't know, maybe during that time. I mean, imagine you walk out of church today. It's beautiful. And for no reason, it goes dark. All dark. That'd scare you, wouldn't it? Or if the ground shook. Now, no recorded earthquakes, but. Something, something significant where you have no explanation that takes you out of your normality. And here's the fourth thing. Talk about Halloween costumes. Jonah came out of the belly of a fish. I'm not sure he bathed from his trip from the ocean to Nineveh. He went straight there. He had maybe some seaweed in his hair. He smelled awful. Maybe, you know, his hair was standing up and, you know, he, he looked rough and he, you know, he just looked crazy. He looked like a freak, as prophets used to do. And another thing about Jonah is he was fearless. I mean, he just came out of the belly of a fish. You think he's scared of the, the Assyrians? He's not afraid at all. And so he preached fearlessly. And so this moved the people. This got their attention and they repented. They changed. They turned to God, which is incredible. We read on Jonah three, verse eight. But let the people and this was Jonah's message, but let the people animals be covered or the king's declaration. Let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This was the king's edict. 
And he's telling the people, hey, we've got to repent. And this was a violent place. Assyria was a very violent place. It was a very rough area. And they were uncivilized in many respects. And the king said, enough. We've got to change this. And now look at this. Verse 10 of Jonah 3. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring the destruction He had threatened. What does this tell you about God? Now, now, let me remind you, this is the Old Testament. Sometimes you have this idea that in the Old Testament, God was doom and gloom. In the New Testament, He's nice, grandfather-like. It's not consistent with Scripture. Okay, God, God is consistent. And now here's, a, here's a, a city, a prominent city, an important city as it's put, that turned to God. Did He destroy it? No. He had mercy on that city. So what's that tell us? If we turn, God's going to have mercy on us. The big question is, will we respond when He sends His messengers? Now, it would be cool to just end the story right here, right? be an awesome Hollywood movie. Okay? Jonah, initially, he didn't want to go. Okay? And God persuaded him with a storm and a fish. And, and he said, all right, I'm going to go. I, I, I'm going to change. I turn myself in. White flag, God. I'm going to go. And then he goes to Nineveh, preaches. The whole city repents. And the story, the end. What a happy ending. That would be a great Hollywood narrative, wouldn't it? I'd go see that movie. But that's not what happened. And see, what we're about to look in, this next chapter that we're going to look at, chapter 4, this next part of the Bible, really paints the clear picture that this book is not a narrative. It's real. It's dealing with real people. And it is dealing with the ugliness underneath the log addressing ugly things. This is the kind of stuff that you hide about your church. This is the kind of stuff that you don't want anyone to know is going on in your heart, your life, your church. God says, "Uh uh-uh. I want this story to go out. Because this is who men are. This is who we are. See, because we dress ourselves up and we make ourselves look good. And we convince ourselves that we're good people. Jonah was a good man. I mean, Jonah, you're mentioned in the Bible a number of times. You're a prophet of God. You're a good man. But you raise the log? What's underneath? And here's the interesting thing about Jonah. Jonah knew God better than you think. He knew God better than you think. And there was a reason why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. Remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Maybe one of the reasons was because the Assyrians were so violent. There's, this is going to open up a reason why he didn't want to go. He's going to confess it. So let's go to chapter 4. Are you ready? Whole city changes. Whole city repents. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jonah, 
you repented. You, you, just, you just changed the lives of 120,000 people, families. You saved the city, Jonah. Why are you angry? Why are you upset? Doesn't make sense, does it? He prayed to the Lord. Now, this is where he gets open. He prays to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is the reason he went to Tarshish in the first place. Here's what he says. This, this, is, the, this is the scripture of all scriptures for you. I, and he says it. He, he, he tells this about God. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. That you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. This, this is the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. What did he want to happen to Nineveh? Punish them, God. Wipe them out. They've done harm to your people. They've created chaos to us. They've hurt us. They've invaded us. This is a good church-going person. This is something that comes from underneath the log. Yeah. But if you ever had a doubt about who God is, how God is, many of you have not turned to God because you're afraid. I don't know if He's going to receive me. Do you know how much I've done? I'm well along in years. Do you know how much has happened in my life? I'm even afraid to get open about it. Because I don't know how it's going to go down. Read this verse. This is Jonah telling God who he is. I knew who you are. Do you know who God is? Do you know that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love? That he doesn't want to pay back. He wants to bring back. He wants you close. He wants your life changed for your benefit, for his benefit, for the world's benefit. Who relents from sending calamity. Do you think God enjoys sending destruction and disaster? It is his last resort. When nothing else works, then he gets our attention. I'll tell you what will work for me, knowing this about God. And it worked for the Assyrians. It worked for the Ninevites. Because they realized, hey, there's some threats happening here. There's some stuff that could go down in my life, in our lives. You could wipe us out. But this is who God is. Think about it. God is compassionate, gracious. Isn't this something to be fired up about? Isn't this something we should celebrate as a church? We serve an incredible God. But why are Christians so angry? You know, in our culture, Christians have a reputation for being angry people. Why is that? They tend to have sometimes an edge about them. Seem frustrated. 
Because they can't do what everybody else does. See, because there's something not right in their relationship with God. There's something right, not right with their surrender. See, they've only surrendered certain areas of their lives. And they haven't surrendered to the whole heart of God. And then verse 3, it says, Now, Lord, now this is the crazy thing about Jonah. He says, take, my, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, he just doesn't want to live. This is, how, this is how dark it was. He came face to face. This is a look in the mirror, man in the mirror moment. And he was dealing with it. I see myself and I just want to die. I tell you what's better than this. How about if you repent? How about if you just change? How, how, about if you just, how about if you just take a knee and say, God, I'm done. I'm done with all this fighting. I'm done with all this anger. I'm done with all this, this stuff I got. I'm giving myself up. Jonah became angry. He became very judgmental with the Ninevites. How do I become Jonah, judgmental like Jonah? Here's the question. Have we got any judgmental people in the house today? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I decided to help you out. What does it mean to be judgmental? This is what it means to be judgmental. Judgmental happens by becoming a very good person, relatively speaking who never surrenders to what God wants to do in the lives of people who aren't as good as you. In other words, you're good, but what about everybody else who you know are not good? Do you surrender to the possibility that God might want to use you like He did with Jonah to help them? And we're redefining our church so that we can be a church that serves this purpose. But we've got to deal with what's underneath the log first. Another thing is to be a very good person and having little or no compassion on the people not as good as you. Yeah, they're, they're not good people. They're going to get theirs. All that drinking, carousing, living together... Abortion. You get, you get a whole list, a whole list of things that people are doing. Swearing, not paying their taxes, exploiting the system. I don't do that. Come on, Peter. I'm a good person. I'm here at church. I bring my children to church. I had a little talk with our teachers. You know, good people are, they're Sunday school teachers. And they come, they teach the children the Bible and Careful with that. It really has to do with what are you doing to help people not as good as you? And the last one is you forget, when you become judgmental, you forget God's grace and love in your own life. And that you, you needed it just as bad as the Ninevites did. Remember? And, and this is God's conversation with Jonah. Jonah! 
Don't you remember when you were in the belly of the fish? Didn't you need grace and mercy? Didn't you need a little help? Didn't you need a new start? Didn't you need a second chance? And I gave it to you. And now I'm going to give these people a second chance and you're, you're angry? That's how you're going to deal with the situation? I mean, come on, Jonah. No one would write this. No, no, no person would write this as a narrative. And here's another thing. If you've never surrendered to the purposes of God in our world, meaning outside of your world, if you've never surrendered to the purpose of God in our world, you set yourself up to become judgmental. And this is what happens in local churches everywhere. They close in on themselves. It's all about them. It's all about our program, our music, our culture, our situation, our Sunday school. What, what about the 90% of the population that don't go to church anywhere and don't proclaim to have a real faith in God and need it and know they need it? Yeah. Come on, Peter. If you've not surrendered to that, you're set up perfect to be judgmental. And my question is to you and to all of us today is, have you ever surrendered to God's purpose in your life? His purpose is in the world. The world that you live in. Have you raised that flag? Here I am, God. All I have, I make available to you to use it so that this world can get closer to you. In verse 4, but the, repl- the Lord replied, now here's, here's the, the Lord replied to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Great question. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? What are you angry about? What are you upset about? What's gotten under your skin? And so after this, I'll, I'll tell the, the story a little bit. Jonah, Jonah basically goes up on a hill and sits there above the hill. And basically, he gets his little spot and he makes himself a little shelter. And he, he sits there watching over the city, waiting to see what happens. Waiting to see what the Lord does. Now here's a, here's a cool thing about this story. God sends a gourd. A gourd is a vine. And it grows overnight. This thing grows over. And, and in one day, it grows over and covers him. It becomes like a shade. Because he's in Iraq. Anybody know what the temperature is like in Iraq? It's hot. It's very hot. And Nineveh's right there in the middle of Iraq. And so he's got this really awesome gourd with the huge leaves. The gourd has, they have huge leaves and they just covered him. And he's like, man, I love this gourd. And he leans up against it and he's looking against it. And he's just like, oh, this gourd is so awesome. But then if you notice on the thing, there's God sends a worm. And this little worm, within a moment of hours, eats the gourd. And kills it. And guess what? 
He's angry again. He's angry again because it's hot and his shade is gone. His gourd is gone. And he's upset again. And so God and him have a little conversation. And the interesting thing is that God, God sent, he sent a storm. He sent a fish. He sent a worm. And now he sends a wind. So after the worm eats, God adds a little fuel to the fire. He sends an east wind. You ever felt an east wind? What's the east wind like here in the summer? Man, it shoots the temperature up. If, it, if it's, you know, 80 degrees, the east wind comes, what is it? 110. Imagine being out in the middle of that sun and the east wind comes and it's hot. And, and maybe he was, and the Bible describes it as that, it, that the heat was hot on his head. Maybe he was bald-headed. Like Ted. And whenever, or, or, you know, I don't want to just pick on Ted, you know, got other men here. I'm, I'm, I'm balding a little on the top, so... But it gets really hot. And maybe who's getting a headache from that hot, blazing sun and he's angry. Here's the moral of the story. Here's what encapsulates the book of Jonah. We read on. Chapter 4, verse 9. After the gourd, after everything, here's what God said to Jonah. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant or the vine or the gourd? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Now, this he's got a problem with <laughs> wanting to die. But you know, when you're so frustrated, you don't know what to do with yourself, death seems like a good option. Let me tell you, death is not a good option. You know what's a great option for you? Change. Raise your flag and say you want to change. Turn yourself in. Stop, stop running from God. Stop avoiding Him. And, he, you know, the, the issue is, and then he goes on, uh, God goes on in verse 10 and says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. Though it did not, you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Verse 11. And should I not be, have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and so many animals? What's this tell you about God's heart for animals? Ah, you like that. Everybody likes that. God loves my dog. You love your dog. Let's not get caught up in that. It's great scripture, but what's the point? Jonah! What are you angry about? The heat, it's hot, the gourd's gone. I don't like being here. I don't like these people. I don't like this situation. I'm upset. I'm not happy. What makes you angry? 
And, 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 and God's basically saying, Jonah, your concerns aren't my concerns. You're concerned about the gourd. Who made it grow? Who, puts it, who put it there? Your concerns are small and trivial. Your concerns are about who, Jonah? It's all about you. And we live in a generation and we live in a time where it's all around us. Life is about who? In the whole society, our whole economy is geared towards satisfying who? Taking care of who? It's all about you. And God's pleading with our generation, what are you concerned about? He's pleading with our church, what are you concerned about? What are you angry about? You're angry about the wrong things. Hey, Jonah, what are you concerned about? Me, the heat, the gourd, my sandals are breaking. Hey, Pedro or Peter or whatever you call yourself, what are you angry about? Me, the economy, my yard, can't get any water, water bills going up, how am I going to pay for college? Are you concerned? And I, you know, hey, I got to deal with this same way you do. I had to go through the list. I had to ask myself the question. What are you concerned about? What are you upset about? And God's saying, I am concerned with this generation. Hey, Jonah, I want to help this generation of people find me. I want to help these people get out of their violent, corrupt ways and come closer to me and find direction. That's what I'm concerned about. And you know the crazy thing about this book? This is where it ends. This is the end of the book. There's no, there's no more story. What, what happened to Jonah? What happened to Nineveh? What, how, there's no way to end the story. This is a bad, standardized narrative. You don't finish stories this way. Anybody who writes knows this. I don't write, but that's what they tell me. But it, it just ends. It's over. It's left with this, this verse right here on the screen. This is it. I thought maybe it'd be cool for me to just walk off the stage and leave you with that. But I feel I owe it to you. I feel I owe it to you to flesh this out. Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? What are you running after? What are you spending all your time? From Monday to Saturday, what's your life like? What's, what's going on up here? And many of us get this, and I want to encourage the church, because a few weeks ago we had, we had a, a lesson called It Matters. And I called the church to respond and, and volunteer and we've got a lot of volunteers. We went to a split service. We have another service at 530. There's much more parking now. There's much more space in here now. We, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so much better. 
But guess what? A lot of people responded so we could do it. We've got college students that are two-timing. They're doing two services. We've got some, some married people who are two-timing it. They're here in the morning and then they come back in the evening. And I'm going, don't you guys have a life? Yeah, this is it. This is my life. See, because I want to see this generation of people get to know God. We started the 530 service not so that it's more convenient for you if you can't make it in the morning. It's convenient for people that work on Sunday who need to get to know God. And I want to commend so many of you for responding, for stepping up. For our guys in the back, last week was a rough week, but it has cost them a lot because now they're having to do two things. Set up, take down, set up, take down. It's created a lot of work, extra work. I appreciate it because they get it. See, they get God's heart. I'm concerned about this generation. But there's a second phrase on there. Many of us don't get it. Many of us don't get it. Because we're still concerned about us. And here's the, here's the right response. All that I have and all that I am, I make available to you to impact this world for Jesus. It's all here on the table. Whatever you want, God. My talent, my ability, my time. I'll even work extra for my job. I'll even go for that promotion because I want to have more resources so that I can be more generous, so that I can help more people. I'm willing to take risks. You know, the 530 service was a risk. How's this going to play out? How's it going to work? It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. And I love to take risks when it's about the right thing and the right purpose. Jonah, what are you angry about? Why are you so angry? Maybe the more appropriate question is, why are some of us so apathetic when it comes to God's purpose for our lives? Uh, so what? If I don't do anything, people go to hell. Too bad for them. They should have changed. I changed. Hey, let me say, that sounds awful. But by not responding, Mike came up here and talked about the next gen. But yet some of you, you're too busy for the next generation. Hey, and I'm looking at everybody. If I look at you at this point, don't think, oh, he's talking to me. Hey, I'm talking to everybody, and I'm talking to me. But let me tell you this. The last thing is, why are you so busy? I mean, what are you busy about? What are you running after? Is, is the percentage of your schedule about the purpose of God in your life, how you can help people get closer to Him, how you can help people get right with Him? That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is not a place for good people to huddle together and say, hey, let's keep the bad out. Let's keep the bad out. No, this is a place where we want the bad to come in and change and find forgiveness and find grace and find practical teaching that can help change their lives. 
That's what the church is supposed to be. Jonah, why are you so angry? Maybe the better question is, why are you so tight with your money? When it comes to giving consistently to the church. Why is that? When tough times come, the first place you stop giving is to God. You see, I made a decision a long time ago, me as a minister, even though I get paid by the church, before I was paid by the church, I made a decision a long time ago. I'm going to be very strategic about my money. God gets this much and he will always get this much. And I'm going to try to find a way for him to get more because I believe in this investment. I believe in this purpose. And I think it's the best thing that I can do with my money. And things have gotten tight. But I will never pull back on God. Because I'm, I'm a fruit of somebody who wrote a check. You see, this, this place we can meet, we have staff members. Everything that happens in this church is because people write checks on a strategic, consistent basis. They give and they give and they give sacrificially and they've been doing it for many years. But some of us are satisfied when the plate goes around. Here's five. Have that. Hey, and God accepts and appreciates everything you give. Really? You live in the richest nation in the world? And yes, these are tough times. But let me tell you, I've lived in some very tough places and people gave more than that. Living on a lot less. And if we were just to flesh out, you know, our our per member giving. You know what our per member giving for our church is? And I'm I'm just going to, hey, let's, hey, I said I was going to take the log off, right? I said I was going to lift it up and let's look at the squiggly, nasty looking stuff. Let's take it up. Let's look at it. Right. Are you ready? You want me to put the worms back on this on the screen? Our per member giving and I know this is not true, but our per member giving average tells me that every single member in our church is way below the poverty line. I mean, like tragic. And I'm going, wait a second. That's impossible. I see what you drive. I know where you live. Hey, and it's between you and God. I'm the messenger. You got to make the decision. But I want you to see some parallels here between you and Jonah. That's the point. And I don't get a bonus because you give more in your contribution. I get zip. We've got a financial committee that takes care of that. They decide how much I get paid. And they, they say, this is it. And I live on that. That's safe for all of us. Okay, enough said about that. Today we have an opportunity. Today we have an incredible opportunity to repent of the sins of Jonah. I don't want to be an angry person. Do you? And let me just say this. The reputation of the local church these angry, judgmental people who don't really care about the rest of the world. Oh, sure, they care about abortion. They care about other things. They've got their, they've got their issues. But when it comes down to crossing the street and saying, hey, neighbor, friend at work, how can I help you? I know you're going through a lot. How can I help you? Today we have an incredible opportunity. 
to repent of the sins of Jonah. And if you're visiting here with us today, the whole point of this lesson is so this church can be a better place for you. So that when you come here, people give you a hug and say, hey, God is gracious, compassionate, loving, and wants you back. Will you come back and help us build this church so that more people like you and me can find hope? And Mike mentioned there's a number of young people that have changed. Do you realize that they're, they're on the right track now to go in a different path for the rest of their lives? That's huge. They don't have to go through what I went through. I believe in that ministry. I believe in the campus ministry because it was the campus ministry where I was born. I thank God for that. Because what would have happened had I not turned to God in the college ministry? It had been messy. And who knows if I'd ever turned. So we're going to finish with these last two points. I'm going to ask the singers to come on up. We don't do this a lot in our church. This may be the first time that we've done it. But we're going to do it. I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to raise your white flag today, I'm going to ask you to come forward today. Up here, there's plenty of room. In fact, all of us could come up here if we wanted to. And we're going to have prayer together on our knee or on our knees, however you want to do it. But we're going to enter the service. And, and there, if, you're, if you're not ready to do this and white flag doesn't, a brother came up to me and he said, no, no, no insult to him, but he said, hey, this is the peace sign. No, this isn't the peace sign. You know what this sign is? I surrender. This sign means I surrender my life and make myself available to you, God, however you want to use it. I'm going to stop doing things my way. I'm going to start th doing things your way. And this isn't just for members of our church. This is for guests. But I invite our members to come forward. And I'm going to be down here with you. And we're going to have a prayer as the song goes on. And I, I would invite you to have your own prayer with God and, and, and ask Him to help you with your heart. And that you're going to turn yourself over to Him. So, let's have the song and let's dim the lights. And don't worry about... Let's all lower our heads. Don't worry about... Who's coming forward? Who's not coming forward? Don't look. It's between them and God. You can come on up.